0: Visit roberthalf.com today. U.S. men's national team fans need a palate cleanser to wash down the bitter pill of Sunday night's defeat in Panama City. What a comprehensive win over Costa Rica in the Buckeye State. Cleanse it. I'm joined by Jimmy Conrad and Dre Cordero to discuss that and the rest of Wednesday's CONCACAF World Cup qualifying action. Golasso begins right now. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. The show would be nothing without you guys, so do us a favor. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It takes no time at all. It helps us a lot. And one thing before uh, we jump into this preview is make sure you subscribe. Hit that bell. Make sure you're getting this content whenever it goes live. It'll earn you karma points or it'll earn you something in life. It'll earn maybe the U.S. men's national team a W. We don't know. We're trying to do anything at this point. So uh, before we get into the uh, Costa Rica versus U.S. match uh, at home for the U.S. men's national team, Let's take a look at the standings. All right, so Mexico on eleven points, top of the table. U.S. in second on eight points. Panama on in third on eight points on goal difference. Canada seven, Costa Rica six, El Salvador five, Honduras three, and Jamaica down with two. Now, the reason I wanted to start off the top of the show with this, uh, Jimmy and Dre, is because there is a lot of Berhalter out, and and I understand that, and and I and I get that there is some anger in the way in which the team is playing. But the team is also 14-0-2 going into this game. No losses in the last 16 uh, competitive matches. There's also a crazy record of, like, against CONCACAF opponents, things like that. So uh, we'll, we'll start with that. First of all, I wanted to ask Jimmy and Dre. Jimmy, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing great. Always excited to talk about the U.S. Men's National Team and the highs and lows and the roller coaster that we're on. And especially to do it here with Dre makes me doubly excited. So, yeah, let's get into it. Dre,
0: Dre, I got to ask you, we were talking about this before the show started is, you know, what's it like calling these types of away fixtures, knowing that you're going into what could be a very difficult uh, challenge, not just for the players, but for a broadcaster, right? Like it, it it is a different type of game that you have to call. What's it like preparing for that? What's it like being in the thick of all that?
2: It's, it never stops being fun. I mean, let, let's we'll start with that. It, that we do this for a living is ridiculous. Uh, it's it's wildly entertaining, um, and to be around the guys, to be around Mo and Clint and Gooch and uh, Charlie. Kate at those brilliant. So I have fun no matter win, lose, draw, play well, don't play well. That said, these are very, very challenging games. And the fact that we get pretty much exclusively uh, the away games that I'm working on, you kind of know that this could happen. Right. And so you shift if you want to talk a little inside baseball, you shift uh, your, your style a little bit to become more min- minimalist um, so you don't run the risk of of rambling or complaining too much, I think fans of, of the U.S. Save that are, are for the podcast,
1: right? That's what exactly. podcasts are for, <laughs> rambling. Yeah. You know, they know
2: they know the game. You don't need to tell them that what they're seeing is not good. Um, I did get into a little bit of trouble around, like, the 70th minute for asking Mo uh, if he'd take a point because it was a very obvious question at that stage. The U.S. were, were dreadful, um, and it was an obvious one, but I did want a former U.S. international to tell me, you know, on the record, yes, I would very gladly take a point, uh, and I did get that from him. But, again, I, it I, doesn't I, stop
0: being fun. I think I think that was the time when he was like his voice inflection changed where he's like yeah, yeah. like <laughs> exactly yeah, that's what I like
2: wanted this, I wanted that reaction
0: obviously uh, yeah. which which I thought was uh, I appreciated the candor on that one but also by the way guys before we go any further a We global football said the three favorites to qualify for Qatar from CONCACAF are Mexico at ninety nine point five eight percent the U S at ninety eight point one two so ninety eight percent Canada at ninety two percent and then it drops off of Of odds of qualifying uh, to Panama at twenty three percent, and then it just goes down to basically Jamaica at the bottom at five point eight three percent. Now, I don't want to read too much into the stats or any of those things, but you know, there's something too, I guess, where the u s. is sitting. Yes, I know that we're unsatisfied, but Jimmy, do you think that uh, Greg Berhalter has to get it right more than he than he needs to just get it resu- a result? Do you think there needs to be more than just a win? Does it need to be convincing? Does it need to be um, dominant? Does it need to be a statement type of win for us to sort of not just get three points, because we know three points is three points, but to actually just sort of move beyond, again, this window and close it out in the same way we did against Honduras?
1: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here, Heath. First, I want to say that we global football are clearly Berhalter in when they're saying (laughs) that we're going to qualify with 98%. Now, when I put my coaching hat on, and if I thought I was Greg Berhalter going into this Panama game, it is unbelievable the courage that he has to say, I'm going to make seven changes to my team. We don't really have any trainings prior to this and yet I think my guys are smart enough and good enough to figure this out and get a result down there. That is super bold, and in some ways I admire it. But then there's another part of me that goes, is there anybody in your coaching staff that is saying, hey, wait a second, this is insane. We are making way too many changes ahead of this game. We're going to lose any flow and rhythm and rapport that we established in the Jamaica game, and maybe this isn't a good idea. And so I'm a little bit torn with, with my admiration for the courage and then this, this insanity of, are you just surrounded by yes men that are telling you that's a great idea, Greg? Way to go, Greg. Yeah. That's really good. You're a super smart guy, Greg. You're the smartest guy in the room, Greg. I, I just, I, I, I'm conflicted with regard to to how you come and rationalize seven changes, and, and it's like either I mean, honestly, if we've gotten a result of one, there, Greg is is towing that line of genius and insanity, and and he lost this one, but I do appreciate his courage. So when I come to this now, because we didn't play well. We do have to play well this time around. Like getting a result is yes, the utmost importance. A win, that is. We need to get a win, and and it's not necessarily the icing on the cake to to do it in style. We have to provide that. We have to perform now at a level because the sophistication of our fans expected in some ways, and the talent that we have at our disposal, those expectations are higher as well. Now it's up to Greg to put the right guys on the field, and make that happen. I'm not Berhalter out. I I I agree with We Global Football that that uh, we're still in a good position and people just need to tap the brakes and keep their emotion and frustration in check. Because if we do get this result and we do win, we still got more points in this window than we did in the prior one. Yeah. Hey, Dre. So, you know, Greg walked through his reasoning
0: for, for the changes that he made, right? He, he talked about, uh, you know, what he thought was the right thing. One of the things that he mentioned was that he had planned substitutions. And that was the thing that, that, Part of me was like, oh, I get it, right? Like, you know that things might go wrong. You know fatigue's going to happen. You sort of always plan substitutions in in some sort of way, thinking, you know, kind of scenario planning. But he kind of had five ideas in mind. He had five players that he had planned to sub in, or at least three that he was planning to work in, that it seemed like, you know, and we talked about this in our preview before. It seemed like, you know, uh, about prepping for your super subs, guys that can bring the spark, Ricardo Pepe off the bench, Brendan Aaronson off the bench. But then you go, well, what if you never actually settled into the game? What does that mean? Right. And do you feel like that was a bit of over planning uh, in, 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 in the context of that, that they sort of missed the opportunity to make sure what they're putting on the field from the start was dialed in, as opposed to knowing that if it does, if it doesn't work, we
2: ha- we've got this sort of uh, backup ammunition. It's interesting because the five subs certainly, you know, change things for for managers and, and you can plan ahead, not just what's going to happen in this game, but you can plan all three games in terms of distributing those minutes. But that would explain why you get a change like second half starts and Musa's come off after he'd grown into the match and Acosta and Legette are still out there when they were very clearly two of the worst performers among the 22 starters, not just for the United States. Um in Musa, you had a player who was willing to get forward, even if there weren't a lot of options there for him to pick out. In Legette and Acosta, you had players that were constantly sending the ball back to the back line, making things easier on Panama to just sort of keep the United States in front of them. Um, so I wonder how much those planned substitutions hurt you in the end. I think there's two players for me that are indispensable for the United States. If you want to win, if you have to win, based on, on this squad, right? So we're leaving out the Polisics and, and the Reina's and the guys that are not on this particular roster. Um, Tyler Adams and Ricardo Pepe. They're they're just different, and they don't have a real replacement that can give you the level that they're going to give you when they're on the pitch. Now, granted, one of them is an 18-year-old kid. Maybe you can ride with him 90-90-90 in a window like this, and he'll bounce back the way we used to when going out for a drink. At 17, 18 years old. Uh, <laughs> and with Adams, you could understand a little bit more. And Burhalter explained how he hadn't been playing regularly for his club. You don't want to risk injuring him. He wasn't around for the Nations League uh, back in June. And we see just what a difference uh, in the second half against Honduras, in the second half against Jamaica, what a difference Tyler Adams is when he's on the pitch. Uh, in the second half against Panama, even if it didn't exactly work out, I thought Zimmerman and and Adams in, in his limited minutes were the only players who were completely saved from, from criticism um, after the game in Panama. And so I think we're still figuring it out that the three game windows are a new thing. And so do you do what Panama did in September and you roll with the same 11 through three straight games? I mean, they only made two changes from game one to two in this October window. Or do you rotate as heavily as, uh, as, as Greg Berhalter has, going with seven changes from game one to two? Or do you do what some uh, comparable teams do when they go to uh, Bolivia to play at Hernando Siles uh, Stadium, you know, 12,000 feet above sea level, and you just separate the team altogether, and you have 11 players stay in Columbus preparing for the Costa Rica game, and, you know, 11 players plus your subs travel to panama for that match i don't know what the right answer is yet and we are playing the result if it's only been five games we can say yeah well that didn't work so that must be wrong not necessarily that's why i prefer to sort of focus on the executions and the lack of execution in this in this particular case um and that's where you know berhalter who is the selector more than anything else national team coaches are selectors they just they pick your minutes uh more most important of all uh leaving Acosta, leaving legit those things are more criticizable to me than what his rotations have been like
0: yeah, and I think it's important for at a certain point, right? And and he's under fire, I, I think, unnecessarily because of where we're at in the standings. I think, you know, again, it's it's coming down to the way in which we're playing that he's under fire, not because of where we're at in points. Because I think if we had gotten to this and played really, really well and been on eight points, I think the conversation is different, right? I think I think people are saying it differently, saying, "Hey, this is how it is in CONCACAF. It's different. It's hard, and you know, we're going to grind this out." But look at the way we're playing. We know that there's three points coming, and I think it worries people to say, "Look at the way in which we're getting points." It's difficult to imagine. Um, this going forward. Jimmy, we talked about this a little bit already, but I wanted to get your take on this. Greg mentioned, uh and the themes, right? We talked about the themes. The two themes this camp have been one game at a time and verticality. That's what we've heard over and over and over <laughs> again, right? Verticality, yeah. I haven't really seen a ton of, but I appreciate the sentiment around that, the willingness to play different and different than what Greg first came in at. I think that's a sign of growth. But the second thing being uh that one game at a time. And it felt like to me, that this wasn't one game at a time that this was putting your eggs into two of the majority of your eggs into two baskets, knowing that that's where your points are. And I I'm not against that, but do you think that uh, it was different than one game at a time? Do you think one game at a time should mean that the only game that truly matters is the one that's right in front of you and you'll get to the next one next and, and, and how you respond. Cause it certainly didn't feel like it, it was one game at a time uh, with Again, the team that they put on, and I'm not blaming Greg for that. I think most of those players failed to do their job on that day. I think they didn't step up. I don't think they were on the same page. Part of that, I think, is a lack of cohesion and tactical awareness. But, Jimmy, give me your take on one game at a time, at least.
1: You know what they also failed at? Verticality. You know, at some (laughs) point, if the game is taking certain things away from you, and as you can see, Panama grow into that game and obviously start to overwhelm our midfields, then you know what? bypass the midfield a few times, drop it into the corner. Let us battle with the guys we put out there to battle. You got Zardes, you got Areola. Are they out there for their unbelievable finishing ability? That would be Ricardo Pepe. You waiting for somebody to actually grab the ball and play underneath? That's Brendan Aronson. We didn't start those guys if we're going to compare those 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 players. Just drop it into the corner and battle and try to win it up the field. It, that's, that's a verticality that, yeah, isn't sexy, but it, it is effective. And it felt like we put out an effective lineup. And I, we didn't even see any of that and because our midfield wasn't linking up it just seemed like we weren't solving those problems and everybody decided to play safe as opposed to actually trying to solve it and at least hey if we're going to play safe let's play safe in the, our attacking half and their defending half and see if we can you know win win a ball and and play from there and we just didn't do enough of that either and that that speaks to something that pisses me off because we got we did kind of what we needed to do in the first 45 minutes we survived and it was 0-0 at half we made some changes like That's going to solve all the problems. Like, well, it worked for us in Honduras. We're definitely going to score four goals now because I made some subs at halftime that were planned, by the way. Planned subs is crazy. It's like having zonal defending on set pieces. You know, it's just like what? The game is going to shift and adapt accordingly. And to Dre's point, if Acosta and Leggett aren't doing the business, then take those dudes off. If they're not having a good game, that's that's part of it. He did that on Honduras. He recognized the guys that weren't playing well, and he took them off. That didn't feel as planned. But maybe it was, and fair play, fair play to him if that was the case. Those guys just didn't, didn't happen to play well, and it timed out perfectly. And that's where I feel like maybe, maybe Greg was drinking his own Kool Aid a little bit about like I'm a mastermind. I got exactly what we're gonna do. Plan subs, all this stuff, and it didn't work out. And and, and it just pisses me off because we could have solved some problems there. Like, hey boys, we're getting overwhelmed in midfield. It's okay to drop the ball in the corner and let's, let's let them try to play out of pressure. Let us try to get a mistake on their end, and that will build us, give us confidence to build, and actually. I don't know. Dre, you were there. You watched every single minute of it and called every single play. Can you tell me how many times we connected five passes and set a rhythm yeah. and
2: flow in their half of the field? I, I bet you it's less than five. Is it still verticality if it's going down, right? Verticality is up and down. <laughs> it's a lot of backpack passes that I think could qualify as verticality. Um, there was no no connectivity. But to be fair, there wasn't much of that against Jamaica either, right? So the the combination uh, between the midfield three, of which I was super excited for, uh, to right. see Adams, Musa, and McKinney, um against... Um, against Jamaica, it, it, in the second half it got a little bit better, but it's not as if, as if those three guys were triangulating all game long. This mm-hmm. this team is vertical. and I, it, you never say a word so much that you just ground it to a pulp yeah, and it doesn't yeah. mean anything anymore? We've yeah. reached that point with this word now. Um, but the, the reason they're playing more direct, we could say, is the characteristics of the players that they have. If you have Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic, those guys are coming back toward the ball. They want it played to their feet, and other guys are going to have to make those runs into the area. What we have right now is a lot of runners, a lot of flyers um, in attack And so as a result, you want to play that way. I'll tell you one thing that that Greg talked a lot about in the lead up to this game and to the Jamaica one, and we saw virtually none of, which I think is maybe more important than that that combination between that midfield three, because if you're playing direct, if you're playing one, I'm okay with that as long as you're creating chances Mm -hmm. is how few switches there were in this Mm -hmm. match. Like how, how seldom we moved Panama's defense by switching the point of attack um, quickly by, by forcing those guys to move. And so you combine that, which made us easier to made the U S easier to defend against with the fact that, you know, as Greg said, the field conditions and our level of fitness will determine how hard we press. Well, we were basically waiting for them at the midfield line, trying to make, that half of the pitch shorter for them. But then once they got there, they still managed to pass their way through fairly easily, especially in the wide areas, especially through Eric Davis's side. So it's the execution for me that didn't work. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. you can say, okay, we're going to play vertical. We're going to play direct. Great, take some chances, take some risks. But if you're not connecting on any of those passes, that's sort of a bigger deal to me than what what style of football you chose to play.
0: Yeah, so let's 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 shift that in terms of what was missing into what is needed for uh, this U.S. team. Again, playing at home against Costa Rica, a Costa Rica team who has now come to life. I don't think they've necessarily been a lot better now that they've gotten when they got their win, but they got a win nonetheless, and that's all you need in Concacaf to have just a little bit of a fighting belief that now you're in the thick of that middle pack and you can start to scrap out results. So, Jimmy, you know who do you want to see play? What do you like? Who is going to be the difference maker? Uh, for you. Who do you want to see? Who who should be out? Who should be in for this?
1: Is it another seven changes back in to to get back to a closer lineup that you want to see? No, I mean, that crushes me too, because now we have to go back to another seven changes to then now establish a flow very quickly. And and the Jamaica game feels like, I don't know, like three years ago because we've been suffering through this, this Panama game. So ultimately, I would start with using that base of what worked against Jamaica. I would have Anthony Robinson back in 100%. Uh, Miles Robinson comes back in. Walker Zimmerman, probably our most reliable player over these last two games, and I think has earned and warranted another start. I feel bad for Chris Richards because I think we all wanted to see him play. I don't know if this is the game for him to get his first World Cup qualifier. I I just, I feel like there's a lot on it and that's asking a lot of him. I think he's capable of it, but I don't know if they're going to risk it. Walker Zimmerman has been pretty solid. That said, I don't know if we're going to play him for three straight games. It's going to be a lot of, that's a lot of thankless work you have to do as a center back at times. And we were under the gun for a lot of that. Can I, Jimmy, can
0: I ask Go you ahead. that though? If they start Walker Zimmerman, why did we need seven changes? If we are capable of playing players three games through dude, because of their importance in the team, then why can't we play eight are you triggering players? Why me right now? I get it, dude. You're, <laughs> hey, we're on the hey, same goddamn I page. I okay, okay. Uh, I, I just wanted to throw that. I just wanted to roll that grenade into the room before, before you Thank keep you. going on, on your thoughts. Well, thought. you pulled yeah. the pen as well. you are blowing up things <laughs> all over the
1: place. So so Zimmerman, it, it's I, I can see Zimmerman and Miles Robinson being being the core. And I think, I think what I really like about Zimmerman and where maybe Chris Richards would lack a little bit, it's not an ability. It's just that leadership and presence that I think Zimmerman has definitely established over these last two days. I mean, he's wearing the captain's armband for a reason. Then you got Des coming back in. Hopefully he's healthy. If not, then Yedlin comes in. Tyler Adams for sure. To Dre's point, I mean, he is a guy that needs to be playing every single minute for us. Uh, McKinney Musa, I, I put that that midfield. That's what I want to see. I want them to continue to get experience together. So I want McKinney Musa and Adams in midfield. Uh, Pepe up top for sure. Brendan Aronson's back in the team. And then on that other side, I just wonder a little bit. Matthew Hoppy's another. Exa- why why haven't we seen Matthew Hoppy? Is he not training mm-hmm. well? Is he? I I don't understand it. I, I, I why wouldn't you bring that guy in, uh, especially in a Panama game where. You bring in Yedlin. We're down a goal. You bring in Yedlin. That might have worked against Honduras, you know, because he's hitting crosses from deep. But we weren't even looking like we're going to score. Put on somebody that can maybe change a game by himself. I thought that was an uh, interesting non-sub. So I wonder if Hoppy's going to feature in here. He, he's already said he doesn't like playing out on the wing. But, dude, if you want to get minutes and World Cup qualifying, just play where you're going to play. I wouldn't mind seeing Timothy Weah in some capacity. My, my concern is that Costa Rica is going to play a low block in a 5-4-1. They're going to be hard to break down. And we have to have some players that are looking to do some in, back, and through. I think you can catch Calvo. If he gets another yellow, he's suspended for the next game. I think he's going to be a little sensitive and potentially – I mean, it's going to catch up to him at some point because that guy's a yellow card machine. But but is it – can we – I think we can catch them out of different spots, but there's got to be some quick movement, especially yeah. in front of that back four. They just do a good job of protecting that space. So it really lends itself back to the narrative of – we just got to take what they're giving us and play on the front foot because we were on the back foot the whole 90 minutes against Panama.
0: Yeah, and, and a few things we know, Dre, uh, Joel Campbell's out uh, with the ankle sprain. Uh, Thank God. Jose Guillermo Ortiz <laughs> tested positive for, for COVID. Uh, and you talked about that that triangulation that you didn't see a ton of between Musa McKinney, and Adams in that first game. But the thing that I liked about them is that they all wanted the ball in tough spaces. And I think that lended well into creating space for each other. You know, knowing that yeah. that you're forcing uh the opposition to have to move and adjust and make uh you know kind of unbalance them constantly knowing that they can play quickly they can play up back and through jimmy and and i think that's a great shout and the way that we've been best is always that up back and through you know and that lends to dre's point of changing the point of attack it comes in it comes out it goes out the other side and now we've got ourselves with this momentum where even the fans are going like, oh, my gosh, we're now in the attack. Something might happen here. And guess what? <laughs> against Honduras, it did. It hasn't much. I would love to see it in the first half. But, you know, Dre, for you, does that lineup sound what, what you'd like to see? Is there, is there any differences that you'd want? Is there any anything that stands out to you in terms of differences you would make against Costa Rica, uh, specifically them as an
2: opponent? Yeah, I have seven changes from Jimmy's line. No, I'm just kidding. I almost <laughs> the exact 11. I'm out. Uh, I can't, they, everyone gets you know, seven, like, oh. seven changes. From the seven, almost, the seven is going to be the new sexy, you know? <laughs> I have almost the exact same lineup um, uh projected uh, for this game. And this is basically just what I would like to see, right? And I think maybe you do ride um, Zimmerman for another match because he's been so solid. He's anchored that backline. Robinson, both Robinsons would come back in. The US have looked at their absolute best, especially against Jamaica, when you get all of that contribution from your fullbacks. Um, Anthony Robinson and Sergio Des were both involved in both goals. Um, you can be very direct and, and very threatening, um, when those two guys are flying forward and both are, are quite good in attack. Um, and I think that means you don't necessarily have to play with two uh, wingers and two players out wide. Right. And so, uh, to go back to that midfield point before I talk about the, the forwards, um, that's the midfield I always want to see. And I want to see these guys develop that chemistry because mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. Adams, uh, McKinney and Musa are very just stylistically complementary parts. Mm-hmm. They all bring something interesting to the table. You've got um Musa's uh willingness and, and enthusiasm to get forward, to break through lines with his with his dribbling and his passing. Um, you have M- McKinney's ability to, to press and, and to break up play and and in short, you know, spurts and in short combinations create attacks and, and get on the end of some attacks as the second wave um for the US as well. And then Adams obviously protecting the back line and adding his leadership I think it's just a really good um, combustible mix in midfield for the U.S. and I'd like to see that develop we have we've seen very little of it so far just in terms of the minutes Um, but because you can have a a Robinson and a Dest or Robinson and a Yedlin depending on Dest's fitness I don't think you necessarily need to go you know four three three with two wide men I think you can play Brandon Aaronson a little bit more withdrawn and attacking midfield role and then Timothy Weah, I think, works quite well as a second striker. So if you've got Pepe, Wea, and Aaronson as your front three, maybe a little bit more narrow to start, you get your width from your fullbacks and your muscle from that midfield trio, that's probably the 11 I'd like to see against Costa Rica at home where they could be comfortable, where they could be proactive, and where they could play in the Tico's half.
0: I like that. Jimmy, You know, do, do you think that the, the energy around this team right now can be squashed... Uh, like the negative energy, the the you know I, I, let me let me rephrase the question. Does this does this game for the players feel? Do you think they are feeling more pressure in this game than they would? I go back to our our the 2010 cycle, right? And we went down, got battered by Costa Rica. Ryan Ruiz sits a banger at the top of the box. I remember I was sit, I I didn't even dress for that game. I was in the I was in the stadium in like one of the suites, which isn't really a suite. You're just amongst the fans uh, wearing a US crest, and the place is shaking. <laughs> go back, and I think we played Honduras next. Uh, where Connor Casey, I think, had a goal or two, and we ended up, like, I think we went down in that game, but bounced back into that where everything was super high pressure. Everybody could feel it. Do you think the players are feeling it this early on uh, to know that this is a must win, or do you think it's overwhelming? Because we're also in an era where, guess what? These guys are sitting at home. They're on the internet. They're they know exactly what's being said about them, about their coach, about the team. And, it, it, you know, it, we have awoken the sleeping giant of the U.S. soccer fan. Do you think that that pressure changes things?
1: I do think it makes the players aware that this matters to a lot of people in a way that maybe we didn't have that type of access before when we were playing. When I was at the World Cup in 06, we were in such a bubble with Bruce Arena as the coach, even though the Internet was around. we I didn't go read. Yeah, you had, I, ha-
0: you had to watch the game again to hear John Harks talk bad
1: about you, Jimmy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, and I was still dialing up <laughs> on the modem to see like what was happening on bigsoccer.com. But, you know, I just there wasn't a lot of that. It was just I'm here. This is what I'm doing. I don't want to get caught up in stuff with, with opinions from people that that not that I don't care about what they think. It, it matters just as me as much to me as it does to them. Like I'm trying to make a difference here on the field. Mm-hmm. and and, and or when I get the opportunity to do so and I remember there was and I don't know which coach I heard this from but and it's true you're never as good as you think you are and you're never as bad as you think you are and, and what happens on the internet and on Twitter in particular is that we swing one way or the other there's no middle ground anymore there's no balance takes it's just we're that amazing and we're going to win the World Cup and I know that I I buy into this and I sell that hard or 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 we're the worst team of all time and Burhalter needs to be out and and it's it's there's there's a fine line between that, but that's what gets clicks and, and that's what gets likes and retweets and all that crap. So I get it.
2: But Counter- I think counterpoint, with the players, Counterpoint Jimmy though? Yes. Just a little counterpoint here. Isn't this what we want, right? I, I remember... Yes, um, we do. I remember uh, following US soccer, you know, like the early aughts, for example, uh, you know, make a big buzz in the 2002 World Cup. And yet there people didn't care nearly as much. And yes, you can say, you know, Twitter didn't sort of spread the information quite as quickly. Social media wasn't, uh, wasn't a big thing. Um, but... the the national team coaching job didn't have for you guys would have been different. You were in, you were on the team. So you you have a different sort of perspective on this, but the, for, from the outside, the U S national team coach didn't have a ton of pressure on him necessarily uh, because you know, sports center wasn't going to blast him afterwards. If it didn't didn't have a good performance, the team was only going to be talked about if they played well and wasn't going to be criticized if they didn't like this, we've reached the point that we wanted. We've reached the point where this stuff really matters in people's lives. They get really angry with you if you don't give them what they want. I love that
1: counterpoint, Dre. And I'm going to say that I think we're inching closer to Mexico because Tata Martino's on top of the table. And I would I would go out there and suggest that maybe over half the population in Mexico wants Tata Martino out. And I'm like, dude, the guy's on 11 points. They haven't even actually played their best yet. And yet they're still on top of the table. I cut this guy some slack. Anyway, with regard to what you're saying, though, yes, that pressure is important. And I think it does show an evolution of the fan here. In this country and that we do have expectations that people do know what they want to see and how they want to see it. And that's all good. But I think it's going to be now to your question, Heath. This is where Greg steps in as a manager and controls the group a little bit in terms of messaging and what they're saying and how to relieve the pressure. And hey, if, if we really are selling this one game at a time thing. You know, then this that that game's done, and now we have to look forward. We saw Walker Zimmerman have to answer questions right after that game, where he's probably massively disappointed to lose when he's the captain. Every time I wore the captain's armband, I just didn't want to lose that game. I was do everything I possibly could to not lose. Humble when brag, I was captain. humble brag, humble I'm, brag. You know oh my gosh, just chuck it out there, yeah. When I was I'm, I'm fle- forced, I'm forced to wear the captain's when armband. I'm,
0: oh, when I'm forced to wear that captain's armband.
1: <laughs> <plane>. <laughs> but you didn't want to lose that game. Like yeah, you didn't want to true. go out there and lose that game, and so. He said a lot of the same things. We just have to look forward and and, and, and get through it. And that's going to be really important for Greg, who's maintained – and I think built a very vibrant culture within the group. But these are the times where we're going to see what we're made of. We're going to see how we cope with adversity. And, and this experience is ultimately going to be better for us, and it's going to help our player group and our player pool grow. But it, it also hurts right now. It stinks.
0: Dre, you know, let's talk about the – lack of goals in eight straight games in the first half and and what that means for the team you know the theme that jimmy and i had had and jimmy was very bullish on this was that the team has found a way to stay in games even when they're not playing great right and then you get punched in the face by panama and you go hey, hey, hey whoa, whoa 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 you're not allowed to do that you're allowed to draw you know you're allowed to play poorly and learn you're allowed to do all these things and now you lose you and the whole world goes whoa these guys are not good we need to fix all this and so I guess give me your 60-second take on the importance of scoring in the first half or or if that's not something to worry about, if they can do it in the second half. is, that, is I guess, is that a
2: problematic
0: stat to you? And if so, how do we fix it?
2: I think you'd follow that one in the um, you know two 0 is the most dangerous score line. You, know, you you got you've got to score first. That put that in like that that shelf and and just put it away. And I'm guilty of it during commentary, especially if the game's a little bit dull. I'll bring some stuff like that up. But you're eight still the second eight games, not, Dre. Eight games, yeah, but, man. We're but eight. you get the second most goals in the in the octagon. Oh, right? and I like not super that counter stats but once one goal less than Mexico and and, you know, we think of Mexico as being the best attacking team uh, maybe in the region. Right. And so I don't care if you're scoring all of your goals in the, from the 93rd through the 97th minute, as long as you're outscoring the opposition Um, as long as there's a coherent plan and a coherent strategy about, you know, how you're, how you're facing the game again, it's always, it's always down to execution for me. And so I don't read a lot uh, into not scoring in first halves. Um, I I think you can make the case that it's not just that there aren't the goals in the first half, but that the performances have been flatter in the first half, sort of across the board. And that maybe this team does need to feel a little bit more under pressure in second games with the clock working against them um, to really come out of their shell and start to express themselves. Um, If you're creating chances in the first half and not scoring, I don't care if you score four in the second half and win the game anyway. Uh, So I don't think the stat matters, but I do think that that the approach to, to come out of the locker room looking like a team that's hungry, looking like a team that wants to make the other team uncomfortable is important. And we definitely away from them. I haven't seen much of that. Even at home at times, it's taken until after the halftime break and some adjustments to get that out of them.
0: Jimmy, l- let's talk about uh, Los Ticos, you know, uh, a familiar foe in CONCACAF, one that we've talked uh, quite uh, a bit about in terms of the generational shift that they're going through right now, the aging of their players, you mm-hmm. know, uh, the the the, la- the the need for new players to step up. But now they found find themselves... Uh, with with a newfound belief, uh, what can we expect from them? Who do you expect to be dangerous in this one? And, and where can they cause the U.S. some problems?
1: Well, I'm going to start with your last question first. I think they can cause us problems on set pieces, especially if we're going to stick to the zonal defending, which uh, I've already put my flag on the ground and said, I cannot stand and I hope we get away from it. I don't mind a mix of some zonal and some man marking, but uh, we don't need to go down that path anymore. Everybody knows how I feel about it. But I thought they were very dangerous on set pieces in particular against El Salvador. Uh, and in different ways, from different wide areas. And Brian Ruiz is probably the key man, even though he's like 87 years old. You know, he still finds a way to to be dangerous, to find those pockets of space. And maybe he's not pulling away from you or a back line or getting breakaways or, or whatever it may be. Not that that was ever his game, but he had that possibility. The timing of his runs, he's definitely slowed down in that capacity. But his his ability to hold up the ball, I think, is super important. So if we can stack him up. And not allow him to establish a rhythm or even find a flow in the game. It's going to be to our advantage. So obviously he's the key guy. And that's why he's still on the team. Despite his age, they don't have younger guys that are going to push him out. And then you have Borges, the the number five, who is one of the danger guys on set pieces. He scored the penalty as well against El Salvador. I didn't think it was a penalty. But uh, you need a little luck in CONCACAF. And without VAR, there's a lot of luck to throw around because uh, it's now on the discrepancy of of the referees to make some of these big, big calls without the help of VAR, which uh, is probably a whole episode in itself why we don't have VAR in CONCACAF with so much at stake. Now, this win against El Salvador puts wind in their sails, and now we're coming into it not feeling as great about ourselves, and that makes me a little bit nervous, and I think they probably can sense how you can frustrate the U.S. They can look at at what El Salvador did, what Canada did in particular at home, really stifled the attack. They are going to sit back in a 5-4-1, but there are moments where we can get at them. We just have to play and transition and play quickly. And I want to bring up Glenn Myernick, who was the assistant coach for the national team, rest in peace, when I was there. And, and one of the first things he said to me, he's like, if you want to stick with this team, you have to play forward as quickly as possible. If you have a chance to win the ball, you got to break the lines with that pass because the other team can't get set up. And that's our opportunity to, to unsettle them while we have that opportunity. That brief moment when they make a bad pass and we capture it, how quickly can we play forward and hurt them? We didn't see enough of that against Panama. We saw it against Jamaica. There was a little bit more of that urgency to play forward and play forward quickly. We need to see that again against Costa Rica. And because everything's so nervy, we got to score in the first half, man. That is a worrying trend that we have gone eight straight games without scoring in the first half. Something has to change there. And if we can make Costa Rica suffer, that's my big my big thing. If I was Greg, like we have to make this other team suffer. We didn't make Panama suffer at all. The goalkeeper, we didn't get a shot on goal. The goalkeeper could have been smoking cigarettes like Mauricio Sari back there. We didn't even test him, you know? So we need to make Costa Rica suffer. We have to move them around, let them chase the ball. Let it, let's be in control. And, and that happens when you play quickly and play forward and then obviously have players in good supporting positions to, to take advantage of, of uh, those, those passes going forward.
0: I think that that plays in well, Dre, to what you were saying earlier about Eunice uh, Musa coming out uh, in that game, knowing that yeah, he made a few mistakes early on, but he seemed unfazed by them. He wanted to advance the ball forward, and and that willingness to do so when the U.S. team is good, it looks like their first thought is okay. In the on the half turn, how do I advance the ball forward? Even if we turn it over, it's still this willingness to be like we can break, we can get past six or seven players if we just go forward with it. You know, I guess for for your quick thoughts on this, Dre, you know, where do you see this Costa Rica team? uh, falling, obviously playing away from home in this match and, and, and obviously having the better of the series against the U S traditionally. So where, where do you think, um, you know, where, where do you see this falling in?
2: Yeah. So w- one quick point on, on Musa, uh, because you brought him up, um, before I get to Costa Rica, it was spe- speaking of burhalter before, um, this particular game. He sort of, really likes to talk about Musa, Um, says that he's kind of a pleaser off the pitch, a guy who wants to make everybody happy, wants to make everybody smile, but plays with a ton of confidence and and a short memory. Um, I think that's why you could see in a game against Panama where things aren't working for him early, he still sort of continues to do what he does, which is break through lines, um, and and was being more successful toward the end of that. I just thought that was such an interesting contrast between the way that he is off the pitch um, and the confidence and sort of self-belief that he plays with um, on it. Uh, As far as Costa Rica, Jimmy said a good word is to make them suffer. I think Costa Rica are actually quite good at suffering, right? Like, uh, yeah, Diego Simeone always says of his Atletico teams, like, "We know how to suffer. Like, we're not going to play the pretty football that Barcelona or Real Madrid do, but we can suffer with the best of them." And the Ticos are that, right? They're going to they're going to hang from the crossbar, and they're going to be happy having ten guys hanging from the crossbar to frustrate the U.S., right? And so this is going to be a battle of the U.S. trying to make Costa Rica suffer versus Costa Rica trying to frustrate the United States. Now that makes them a little bit easier to defend against because they don't have a ton of quickness up top. Um, I think some of the fangs are taken out with the absence of Joe Campbell, who has a couple of goals and an assist. And it's so often a danger man and can take guys on one-on-one, but there's still some talent there. It's just not particularly quick talent. And so if it's Costa Rica that are sitting deep, you know, with the five-man backline and looking to break out in transition against a, a youthful and energetic United States, that gives us sort of some opportunities in transition to make up for mistakes if we make them. And so I'm not, you know, too worried about giving up a ton of goals against Costa Rica. But I do have some serious questions about not just can we score in the first half, but are we going to score at all? Because and I'm not saying that we're not. I'm just saying it's a question going into this game because the last three away games for the Ticos, nil-nil in a friendly against El Salvador, nil-nil in a World Cup qualifier against Honduras, and nil-nil in a World Cup qualifier against Panama. Those two flip them around in, in chronological order. So they're not going to put up a ton of goals, but they're also not going to concede a bunch. And without the politics, without the arenas. Looking at a team that, yes, there were some changes in the lineup, but only mustered up five shots and none on target uh, against Panama away from home, we're going to have to find ways to take risks and and to to shoot, whether it's from distance, whether it's close, but make sure that they're feeling like they're under threat, uh, which Panama and Luis Mejia, to Jimmy's point, never did. Well said.
0: Listen, everyone, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk about the remaining matches. Uh, If you're listening to this on audio, we're going to take a quick break. If you're watching this on YouTube, stay right with us. What if I told you imaginary friends
2: are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds. John Krasinski. Kaylee Fleming. Fiona Shaw. Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Louis Gossett Jr. Matt Damon. Emily Blunt. George Clooney. Maya Rudolph. Bradley Cooper. Sebastian Maniscalco. John Stewart. Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I
0: need to throw up. Or I need a snack.
2: It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ritty PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to KGolosso. And it is time to talk about the remaining matches. Let's take a look at the standings one more time Uh, with our man, Des. Going to throw those standings up on the board. We've got Canada taking on Panama. 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. That will be on Paramount+. Plus. Honduras. Versus Jamaica, 8 05 p.m. Eastern on Paramount Plus, and El Salvador playing at home against Mexico, 10.05 P.M. Eastern on the CBS Sports Network, as well as Paramount Plus. By the way, that's one of the things I like about Paramount Plus is it's one of the few places you can actually get all the games. Uh, and sometimes they try to break them up on on other places, other networks where you got to have a whole bunch of other things. Paramount Plus generally delivers all the games that are available across their wider network. And again, Mexico sitting on 11 points, US on eight, Panama eight. Canada 7, Costa Rica 6, El Salvador 5, Honduras 3, Jamaica 2. Oddly, guys, when I look at this uh, Honduras side, I was a little bit disappointed that they've fallen down this trap in the way that they they, they started. They're down there, and I think that they're a, a, kind of a, a sleeper that can that can make their way back into this tournament. But let's start with uh, the El Salvador versus Mexico game. I think that's an important one just in terms of uh, El Salvador's chances. Mexico obviously... The uh, what I think is uh, the clear favorite on this one. Uh, this one kicks off at again at ten o five p.m. Eastern Time, Wednesday uh, on the CBS Sports Network and Paramount Plus. Uh, Dre, you know what has been your your takeaways from this El Salvador side playing at home in this one uh, against Mexico? Do you think they have an opportunity for? Are, are there points available in this one? I mean, Mexico haven't been superb but here they are sitting at the top and they're only 3 points above the US but uh you know uh playing away from home now against El Salvador
2: yeah, there's a real excitement about El Salvador um, in El Salvador right now, right? They, they've been transformed to their Hugo Perez. They've been, for me, maybe the most entertaining side to watch. Not nowhere near being the best of the eight teams, and it'll be a real struggle for them um, to qualify for this World Cup if they if they do eventually make it. Um, but they're just an entertaining and a fun team to watch. There's a fluidity about them. Um, there's a coherence about the way that they play. And unfortunately, I think all of those things play right into Mexico's hands because El Salvador, you know, yes, it's in El Salvador, but they will try to play against Mexico. They'll try to have the ball. They'll they'll try and be the protagonist um, against El Tri, and I think that's what Mexico wants, because that'll give Mexico some chances to to find space uh, behind them. They've got more talent. Uh, They they can be more direct. Um, And so while I think it'll be maybe one of the prettier games of of this uh, three-game window, it's probably one in which Mexico will be much more comfortable uh, playing against El Salvador, given what Hugo Perez has brought to that team.
0: Do you think, uh, Jimmy, that that Mexico is going into a must-win here? Is it a single point that they need? I mean, just looking through the lens of how we analyze the U.S. team and and how you handle these and or manage these these windows, you're looking at at an El Salvador team that seems a little bit vulnerable. Does Mexico see three points as a must in this? Does El Salvador see
1: this as three points? I'm assuming they do. Well, El Salvador hasn't given up a goal yet, and will qualify at home. They've only scored two though, so that gives me a little bit of cause of concern. These two teams faced off against each other in the Gold Cup group stage. And that was a game. I remember us talking about it afterwards where El Salvador was hanging in. It was a one zero win for Mexico off a deflected shot. And there were some opportunities. I remember them hitting the posts. They were putting Mexico under a little bit of pressure. We've seen Canada do something similar in the gold cup. And that part, they parlayed that into a draw at at the Azteca earlier uh, this week. So it's it's I don't know. This El Salvador team are plucky. They are missing a few key players due to a red card, Oriana, and, and a couple of other players due to multiple yellow cards. So they're gonna be without that. And I also want to look back at the first qualifying window where El Salvador doesn't have a lot of depth. And now they're already missing players. They played pretty well in their first two group stage games. They got a zero-zero draw against us and then another zero-zero draw. And then on that one where they're rolling out the same guys for the most part, the third game in eight days, they got smoked by Canada 3-0 without Alfonso Davies in that Canadian team. That's what gives me a little bit of worry for El Salvador is that I just think they're going to be a little bit tired. And when you play against a team like Mexico who keep the ball and, and they, when you keep the ball, you remind the other team how tired they are because like, God, I don't want to chase these guys anymore. Uh, Mexico is very, very good at that. So I give them the slight edge here. Is it a must win? I think Mexico kind of sees it like any other team. Just going to draw away from home and win your home games and you're going to qualify for the World Cup. No questions asked. I think they go for the win and then settle for the draw if that's what they get. But I think they're going to have more than enough, a little bit more of that quality, especially with Chuki Lozano and-, and Tecatito, who's been sharp, and Raul Jimenez back in the team. I don't know if all three of those guys are going to start again, but I think very similar to our midfield, the US, they got to get those three guys as many reps together as possible. So it's, po- you know, we can see Tata Martino maybe roll that out for 45 to 60 minutes. But yeah, anyway, with regard to it really quick, it is a must win for Mexico because they expect to win every single game. Yeah. Give me your quick predictions
0: on this one, Jimmy, first.
1: I'll say I'll say one zero or two zero
2: to Mexico.
1: I don't think El Salvador is scoring in this one.
2: Dre, yeah, we're agreeing on a lot. Um, we have the U.S. same U.S. lineup more or less. Uh, one nil uh, Mexico for me in this one. One of the one of the interesting things, and I'll take it a little bit further. One of the Mexican players who hasn't scored yet will score that one goal, right? Because if you look at Mexico, they're they're top of the scoring charts in the group. Um, eight goals, eight different goal scores. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Yeah. Even, 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 even Funes Mori scores. So like, there's goals out there. <laughs> He's there's like the Timo out.
1: Werner of Mexico. <laughs>
0: yeah. Great. There's goals out there for everyone. All right. So let's shift our, our, our thinking uh, over to Canada versus Panama. Obviously this one has the most implications I think for where the U S stands right now. And I hate, I hate going into a game thinking about what everyone else is doing. I don't think the players think about it as much uh, as we do just because of the way that, you know, the, the live table and, and the way that it reads. But Canada playing at home versus Panama. Panama obviously buzzing after a convincing win over the U.S. Obviously, I don't think they played beautiful or pretty, but they made the U.S. suffer for long periods, and they were able to, to pull out a result. Thomas Christensen just, uh, you know, outsmarting, I think, this team and and really finding a way to uh, to get them to dig deep. They now have to travel all the way to Canada. Canada. That's not an easy trip. Uh, it never is in CONCACAF, but... Canada playing at home. Uh, Dre, we'll start with you. I mean, what are your thoughts on this Canada versus uh, Panama matchup?
2: Hey, so for, on the Panama side, uh, fitting that like uh, Anibal Godoy is the the captain of that team because there's a Nashville SC quality to this Panamanian team, right? Like they're they're not like lighting you up in attack, but they're physical and organized and disciplined and they're not going to make mistakes that, that will destroy you. And that was a difference to me between the U.S. and Panama in this game. It was Panama didn't make costly errors um, and I think that's something where you know Canada have had a lot of sort of moral victories in World Cup qualifying but not a lot of actual victories in these five games right just the one win um, that came against El Salvador they they get held by Jamaica which I think we can agree that this Jamaica is probably the worst uh, of the eight teams in the qualifiers granted it was Jamaica at home uh, but a nil-nil draw and so I think this could be another really frustrating outing for Canada which yeah you know there's, there's a good feeling and a good buzz about the Canadians based on what they did in, in the Gold Cup based on the sort of level that uh, Herdman is taking them to, um, but now they're coming up against an experienced Panamanian side that, much like the U.S., um, can be frustrated by by these veterans.
1: Yeah, I would just jump in and say really quick that Panama's kind of had the opposite uh, run in this window to the U.S. because they played El Salvador on, on their. Matched first match day of this window match day four and didn't get any shots on goal and i'm sure everybody was like oh man maybe this isn't the team that's going to get us to a world cup and then they have a great performance against the u.s and everybody's like oh my god panama's gonna do it they're awesome so we've kind of flip-flopped the narrative with with them in particular with the contrast canada on the flip side has done very well they've got a draw away from home against us mexico and jamaica and i think if you would have told them that prior to qualifying started they're like yes we'll definitely take it i think they're going to kick themselves for not getting a result in jamaica because of how poor jamaica is and because they're little handcuffs because they don't have all their top players and there's no fans in the stands because of covid and um, i'm a little bummed because i love the reggae boys and i want to see them qualify for the world cup that said canada or let me let me give you a fun fact there's been five teams since this qualifying phase changed here in concacaf in 1998 who who were undefeated in their first five games. And all five of those qualified for the World Cup. Now, so Canada is one win and four draws in their first. They're undefeated. They're the sixth team to do that. I think they're positioning themselves very well. They have to win this game, though. I think they know they have to win this game. And I'm curious about the the fate. I don't know, maybe you two know about Alfonso Davies, because he didn't play that last group stage game because it was too many games. And I don't think Bayern or whatever relationship they had didn't want him to risk it. Maybe he was nursing a bit of an injury. He has to play in this game, whether he's tired or slightly hurt or not, because they need these points. It's, it's a it's a pivotal one, as you mentioned, Heath. Yeah, I think
0: I think it's huge. And, and you know, looking at what Canada wants to do, Jimmy, you, you you had the math there. One win, four draws that puts them at seven points, obviously, uh, if my math is correct. Uh, and, and we know uh, that it's around one and a half points will qualify you for a World Cup now. Knowing that this is 14 games, and I think it, it was a historic low the last time around where 13 points or 14 points got got a, uh, got you into the World Cup on 12 games. You know, there, there are a lot of points out there. It is a long road, but we're starting to see now we're going to be after six games. We're almost halfway there. And Canada have to start converting those into wins. Obviously, as a U.S fan I would love to see a draw happen here where that just gets neutralized from from a personal standpoint but for Canada they certainly need to win these home games and and I think it was the Honduras I believe that that played Panama or played Canada in their first game away and and really made it difficult for them um and and for long stretches looked like they could take all three points and Canada showed that vulnerability but you still look at the way Canada is and Canada seems to have this mentality of like we're not going to let much go. We're not going to give up much and we're going to fight like hell. And I think while you were saying that, Jimmy, it it angered me uh, in just our pressing game of the U.S. And I don't want to go back to the U.S. preview, (laughs) but just the pressing, pressing game triggers me to think about all this young energy that we have. And just making the game predictable. If you sit back against these teams, we've seen every CONCACAF team in history. If you allow them to get better, they will get better minute after minute after minute. And then the magic of CONCACAF happens. 50-50 balls don't go your way. You arrive late to a challenge. Now the crowd is into it. Now the Olays happen. Like all those things start to build up because the game's not predictable. We sit back, we respect them almost too much. I know people think that we we don't respect our opponents enough. Sometimes I think we respect them too much when we're away from home and allow them to dictate the terms. But, anyways, I, I get off I get off that uh Preacher's corner now. I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Uh, what, Jimmy? What's your prediction for this Canada versus Panama game? Um, not as a fan, but as 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 an analyst. And then give me your uh, fa- and then give me your fan. <laughs> me your
1: no, fans. I I think that Canada understand what's at stake. I think they have a, a nice team. I think they know exactly who they are and, and how they're going to have success. I don't think they make seven changes uh, with the hopes of winning games. Right? I think they just go out there and grind it out. And and uh, John Herdman to use that one game at a time and saying that every game's a final. It's really important for them, this country in particular, to qualify for this World Cup without getting the handout of hosting a World Cup in 2026 where they don't have to qualify. They want to prove that they've got the goods to do it, and I think we can sit here and say that they do. These are the games though they have to prove it. Their their other game that was a similar opponent in some capacity against Honduras, they got a fortunate penalty to come back into that one. They were down 1-0 at home, got a penalty to make it 1-1. They seemed a little nervous in that first game. Now that they're five games in, I think they're going to be a little bit more relaxed. I think they. They, they believe in themselves. And getting a result away from home in Mexico City is, is ridiculous. And that should give them a, a ton of confidence. And so I think they're going to go win 2-1. That's a really long answer. I'll say 2-1 Canada. Hey, and that's a, that's a great prediction. And by the way, I, it wasn't even that they seemed nervous in
0: that first game. They seemed similar to what the U.S. is going through, where they realized how much quality that they had. And they thought that much quality would beat teams, right? Oh, we'll just play through teams. You know, we got all these good players. We'll just sort of the quality will win out. And I think they lost what made them good in the gold cup. And that sort of playing like a final um, uh, type of mentality, but uh, Dre, what are your thoughts on this one? What's your prediction?
2: Yeah, I, I've got a, a one, one uh, draw here because I think the Panamanians are, are not going to give up a ton of goals. Um, Canada, to me, look like a three-point window right now, right? Like they mm-hmm. drew one-one in Mexico, drew one-one uh, in in game two. Um, now coming back home for their only home game, I'm a little bit more inclined to just say, yeah, no, they they can take the two, they can take the victory here. Um, but I've been impressed with Panama, and I, and I think uh, you look back to that three-three uh, draw at the Gold Cup, uh, Panama against uh, Qatar. Qatar, a team that you know was proactive, uh, wanted to have the ball, wanted to attack them, um, and, and so there are there are games in which you know Panama can sort of take a step up. Uh, in their in their attack, it's not just the Nashville comparison that I made earlier. Um, so I'm I'm not yet fully convinced. Like, I think Panama have made, uh, excuse me, I think Canada have made um, strides. I don't know how significant those strides are yet. Um, and so I I see this as a difficult game for them, one in which you know Panama could do what they do best and frustrate them, um, and probably you know one one would be a good result for Panama, um, and one in which. Canada continue to march toward qualification without having, without being elated um, about still sitting on one victory so far, and that one coming against the worst team in the region.
1: Jimmy, I uh, hope, I hope, I hope that happens and we win because that will uh, allow us to create some distance between those two teams. Yeah. That's my, that's my fan prediction. <laughs> that's well said. Jimmy, I, agree, I agree with you, Dre. Great prediction, Dre. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> final, final, final match of the day, 8.05 PM Eastern time on Paramount Plus, Honduras taking on. Jamaica or Jamaica, if you speak Spanish.
1: Uh, Jimmy, what are your uh, what are your thoughts on this one? I don't think Honduras is as bad as their three points reflects. I think for two and a half games in the first window, they were very good and then just fell apart against the U.S. in that second half, and that's what everybody kind of remembers. They got a 0-0 draw in this first game of this qualifying window against Costa Rica at home. The the Ticos only got one shot and I think five overall, and, and Honduras had 24 and five on target. They're probably going to be kicking themselves for not getting a result in that one. And then when they went into Mexico City, which is never an easy place to play, and Mexico's only going to continue to get better because they haven't really hit their peak just yet. They were in the game for a, a long period of time, and then they got a red card, and then that's when Mexico scored two more goals. So I still feel like that's not a reflection of how good this, this team quietly is So all the points you're making about how hard it is to have success in CONCACAF, Heath. I like Honduras knowing what's at stake here against a Jamaica team that's still very vulnerable despite them getting a draw. Again, uh, as much as I have nothing but respect for the reggae boys, have a ton of Jamaican friends like Andy Williams that we used to play against, Kari Stevenson, Shavar Thomas used to play with me in Kansas City. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I think that Honduras is going to have a little bit more, and I think it'll be 1-0 Honduras. Yeah, Dre,
0: you know, before I get your thoughts, I just want to point out that these are the bottom two teams in CONCACAF right now, and if Honduras want any chance, and a Honduras side that I thought could be around – you know the four, five, six seed, and really battling until the final weeks. I mean, they're sitting on three points right now. You lose this one, draw this one, and you could start to see that gap where where it becomes this insurmountable hill to climb. And not to say it's impossible because anything is possible in Concacaf, but it certainly seems like of all the games this weekend, uh, or or sorry, in in this match day, uh, this one for Honduras is their biggest must win of all their matches so far.
2: Would you agree? So like Jimmy, I have to sort of couch my prediction here because my wife is Chinese Jamaican, and so I could have an entire whole wing of my family um, very upset. <laughs> I've already called them the worst team in the region. Um, they are missing. Obviously, they don't have the you know ideal roster that they would like to have. And there's a question if they lose this one as to whether they'll ever have that roster, right? Because do then players start to say, you know what, maybe it's not worth making the trips to uh, – you know, Central America and North America going forward uh, in the middle of their seasons. Um, I think this is where Honduras pick up their first victory. Uh, I think Honduras being at home uh, is a big deal against the Jamaican side that have been just sort of disorganized and at times look like strangers. Um, I think they, they they could start a game fairly strong, but then just have trouble keeping their shape. Um, it just doesn't look like a team that has a whole lot of coherence about them. Um, they're, they're at times easy to break down, and yes, they did get a really good result against canada to get a point um but i agree with your point Heath. that this is the best opportunity that honduras have had to pick up a victory um so far and probably the best opportunity they'll have in this entire uh, final round of world cup qualifying so i'll go one uh, nil honduras
0: Oh, I like that. Uh, Well, that is it from us. I appreciate you guys joining uh, us on the pod. And don't forget to tune in to the Golasso YouTube channel on Wednesday night for our live recap of U.S. versus Costa Rica and the rest of the Match Day 6 CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers. Whether it's a celebration or a venting session, uh, we will be here and we want you to take part in the conversation. So make sure you hit us up uh, in the comments with your questions, takes, hot takes, bright ideas, anything that you think, We'll try to get those onto the show. And if you have a question for us, head over to the Apple Podcast and leave uh a five star review with your question, and we'll try
2: to get it on the next pod. Thank you so much, Dre, for joining us. Hey, absolute joy, guys. Um, I, I mean, I hang out with you guys. So, so invite me to hang out some other time, please. And thank <laughs> you.
0: Yeah. Oh, we will for sure. And thank you, Jimmy Conrad. Man, I love, it. I like this group, man. This is a fun, this is a fun crew. We're, we're, yeah. We're, thanks, we're, thanks we, Heath. We made our producer mad because we're,
1: we're hitting almost an hour, but I appreciate both you guys. You know what? It's, it's it's a, a great hour. This is, a, this is yeah. an hour worth spending and listening to and getting smarter and so you can talk smarter to your friends. I do want to say one thing before I let everybody go. Keeler Navas, the goalkeeper for Costa Rica, is the best goalkeeper that has ever played in CONCACAF. And if he stands on his head against the U.S., I'm going to be super pissed, and he makes all these world-class saves, and we don't win this game. I just, that's it. I'm out. Thank you very much. Navas, I need you to be bad. Yeah, thank you, Bye. You,
0: you. You heard it first from Jimmy there, even though, you know, leading into this game before Matt Turner had gotten that loss, he was all in on Matt Turner being the best there ever was. So that's it from us. We will see you guys in the post-game show.